I said I would give it 45 days. And, and sure enough, by the 45th day, I was champing at the bit. And I said, here's my letter of resignation. I'm happy to stay on till the end of the year. He didn't even ask why. Yeah. He just, he just said, okay, thanks. <laughs> Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. Uh, I'm your host, S, Megan Henry. And today I have on Mike Freed, who is just a joy to talk to. And, you know, he, he's full of jokes and he just makes me laugh a lot. But Mike has a lot to say. He, you know, worked in the insurance industry for, you know, 30 plus years and is now retired. So he has a lot to reflect on uh, as to how he saw the insurance industry change um, and, you know, what he's doing now in his retirement. So with that said, let's bring him in. Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining me this afternoon on the Defense Never Rest. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing well. Yeah. Well, I am so happy that uh, you took some time to sit down with me. You've had a very long and interesting career in claims and you're now retired, which, you know, is even better for you. <laughs> yes. Um, but I'd love, I want to hear more about your, your career and now, you know, what you're doing with, with your time now. So why don't we just jump in because everyone has a different uh, story to this. Some are similar, some are not, but how did you get into claims to begin with? Was this, you know, did you have an uncle or a father that did it or did you just, fall into it as a career? I sort of fell into it. Um, you know, it was, uh, no one really, uh, you know, I went to all these on-campus interviews and, that they had at Brooklyn Law School. And I would say, you know, and it's sort of the, on, the, the only on-campus interview that bore any fruit was, uh, you know, all state insurance company. And, you know, I did have other offers. I had actually an offer from F. Lee Bailey's law firm, but I understood from others who had been through that, that that was basically, you know, you know, $20,000, I mean, again, we're talking $1984, you know, things, you know, they, they, they paid people off. It was like 20 grand and it was, um, you know, it was like 18 hour days mm -hmm. because yeah. you're in it, you're in it for the experience of working with F. Lee Bailey. And I said, I don't really want to work with F. Lee Bailey all that much. And not, not 18 I, hours a day. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I sort of like, again, the, re the reason I went to law school in the first place was, again, when I went, it was so cheap that mom and dad said, when I before I was graduating college, if you want to go to law school, we'll pay for it. Mm-hmm. And we're, yeah, again, Brooklyn Law School was like four grand a year. I mean, wow. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, they said, we'll pay for it. Otherwise, you got to go get a job. And so I went into, you know, I got a law degree just to put off the inevitable working. 
sure. for another three years. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and so then just because of that laziness, I sort of like got sucked into uh, insurance. And, you know, I sort of stayed there. You know, I actually, my first gig was as a paralegal for an insurance subrogation law firm. Okay. And, you know, they actually, you know, I helped them on the, the subrogation stuff and the defense stuff that they did. When they offered me a job, I said, well, can I work with Walter on the defense stuff? And they said, no, we want you on the subrogation stuff. And I said, no, I don't want to handle the subrogation stuff. And so I wound up taking the job at Allstate. And, you know, from there, I moved to the home insurance company, and which was a nice company way back when. And um, then they got taken over, you know, by the Vic brothers and, or they were about to be taken over. And I always knew that the home insurance company had, there was always like 10% layoffs, mm -hmm. you know, when, 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 whenever there was a change in corporate ownership. So I bailed and I went to AIG for, uh, you know, 16 years and, uh, you know, we probably could have a three-hour podcast about AIG, but, you know, that's a different story for a different time. Uh, and, and, you know, then I went to ACE, which is now Chubb, um, which I found was a, uh, you know, was, was really, was a nice place to work, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, and, you know, from there I went to, I was, you know, there's a guy that a lot of people in the industry know named uh, Paul Lavelle, who, run, who ran uh, and founded and ran LVL Claims. And he sort of made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And um, uh, back in, you know, 2017 in November, I just said, I'm still young. Mm-hmm. In my, in my late 50s, I said, I'm going to retire. And um, I pretty much enjoyed retirement. I kept my licenses active just for the heck of it. And in um, 2020, I was contacted by uh, uh, an old friend of mine uh, to do um, sort of create the panel and the procedures and handle a couple of claims for, uh, uh, with uh, Nexus underwriting. Mm -hmm. And I did that. I did that for 10 months. And then when it came to December 2020, I said, I've had enough of claims, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I just, you know, it turned out to be more of a claims job than, you know, procedural and oversight and and I just had, you know, after 40 years of claims, I just said enough is enough. No, it was it. And I actually had planned to get into this a little bit later, but was it difficult to, to walk away or at that point, had you just had enough that you were, you, you, you're, you were ready. You were good with your decision. I was like Popeye, you know, <laughs> so I can stand, I can't stand no more, you know? No, I, I was, I was ready to walk away, you know, LVL, was great as a standalone organization. 
Then they got taken over by Allied World, and I was not really enamored with the. Um, you know, I'd always told my wife that that Paul Lavelle was going to be my last boss, and then when, you know, I was never enamored with the corporate overlords at Allied World. Um, and when Paul left and they put me in charge of LVL claims, um, you know, I, I, I said I, I said I would give it 45 days. And, and sure enough, by the 45th day, I was champing at the bit. And I said, here's my, you know, I went up to the guy I reported to. I said, here's my letter of resignation. I'm happy to stay on till the end of the year. And this guy said, he didn't even ask why. Yeah. He just, he just said, okay, thanks. <laughs> you know, and then I got a phone, I got a, like a phone call, like as I was telling my staff, you know, that I was leaving, it was like ringing, it rang, okay, it hung up, no message rang again three minutes later. No, like I'm, I'm talking to my staff and, and like finally he called back and he said, why? And I said, this is why. So, you know, I, I really, it was, it, was, it was time for me. Yeah. It was but, time for me. And you had already retired earlier and maybe you weren't ready at the first time. And then no, this was up... the first time I Oh, retired. this is the first time. Okay. This was the first time I retired. This was the first time I retired. The second time... I think, you know, again, we, it, it was, it was tailored to be a short-term gig with a potential uh, right of going further. And I just decided not to uh, go further because like I said, you know, you know, I, I just, just had enough of handling claims. You know, I started out handling auto and homeowners claims, you know, like, and, you know, moving up to, you know, multi-million dollar claims and just over a period of, um, you know, like I said, 40 years of, 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 with all the changes I perceive, being the dinosaur that I am, and really not being an agent of change or being resistant to change, I just thought it was, you know, since I was financially able to retire, I just said, time to pull the plug. And, you know, why not do it at the time that you can, you can enjoy your retirement too. And you still have your health and you're able to, you know, take advantage of, of the time. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm young. I'm right now, I'm 62 years old. I'm, uh, I retired first when I was, uh let's figure out the math 58 you know and except for that 10 month gig last year you know when everybody was in their house anyway not <laughs> going anyplace um you know uh you know i've pretty much been retired since 58 you know and i've i've heard a lot of people though struggle with that change of you know always having you know the office to go to or you know the work to do to suddenly not having and really struggle 
with having all this t- extra time? Do you, have you struggled with any of that? Or was it just like, you're like, I- I'm good. I- I've been ready and I am, I'm not missing it. I am, you know, there, <laughs> I, I mean, there were a couple of days. I mean, in 2020, obviously 2020 was a weird year for sure. everybody. I mean, it was, I was starting to feel like Jack Torrance in The Shining because <laughs> you really couldn't go out to a, the occasional movie. You couldn't do, I mean, everybody was staying indoors. Okay, so, but for the most part, you know, I would find myself, uh, you know, I, I, was an, I was an avid reader. I would, I would go read a book and while listening to music, you know, I'm like, you know, uh, you know, I have tons of music on my computer and I have Spotify and I have Amazon Music, you know, I, uh, so I, I, would, I would read books as, as many of my friends know. You know, I'm an avid movie watcher and, you know, uh, you know, I would, it was usually the type of thing where like right after Jeopardy, I would start watching movies and watch movies until like three o'clock in the morning. So, you know, again, and then I go to sleep and I wake up late. And so, you know, it's, a, it's, a, you know, I'm not a person, there's a lot of people there who, who need to constantly be doing stuff. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I take after my dad. When he retired at 62, basically, you know, my mom always complained that he just, all my dad did was, you know, sit on the couch, you know, and, and read books and watch sports, you know? So I'm very much like my dad. And so it's, it's never, it's never been an issue. Yeah. Well, and, and good for you then, you know, I mean, I, I, I see I, my, my father-in-law, when he retired, he, you know, was able to walk away, but then like, still couldn't just like kick it. Like he still does some consulting type stuff on the side, but is also content, you know, doing crossword puzzles during the day right. and, and not, you know, you know, have feeling the need to be busy all the time. And um, I don't, I don't say this as an advertisement, but I mean, if, if someone were to contact, if there was a startup, that was that wanted to say, look, Mike, this is what we need. We need somebody to put together a panel. Mm-hmm. Okay, because we need, you know, I'd be happy to sort of spend a couple hours every day, you know, trying to over like a six month period of putting together a panel for the particular firm. Right. Because that's a lot of that's my expertise. I know the, and, and again, being a crusty sort, okay. You know, I've never measured a law firm based upon the number of lunches they take me to, or the, you know, or, you know, or tickets that are offered. Or, I've always, I've always gravitated toward law firms that have made my life as a claims person easier on the claims. And so, you know, again, that's some, if someone contacted me for that, that that's something I would consider doing, but, you know, just like you said, handling, if if it was a choice between like laying on my couch all day, staring at my navel, you know, and, or, or handling claims, I would be contemplating my navel. <laughs> well, I, I do like how you brought up the point of what you look for in, in counsel, um, because I I do feel like there's this, like 
or I would say pre 2020, there was this grind to have to, you know, at least I feel like on the attorney side, like you have to fly out here and have lunch with this person, have dinner with this person. And I feel like when we were all forced to stay home, it actually forced people to have more develop and maintain more meaningful relationships and really focus on what's important, which is the actual work. You know, I, I don't know what you can, I mean, I love having dinner or drinks or lunches with the next, with someone just as much as the next person, but I really feel like, feel like you get more out of the relationship as you work together and you show them what you can do for them. I, I agree. I mean, and, you know, in terms of the issue um, of, of panel firms, I mean, you know, again, I go, I go back to the issue of the firms that make my life easier as a claims person are the ones I, I gravitate to. Um, you know, there's always, I, I'd rather, I'd rather pay a law firm um, I'd rather give a law firm 50 cases where they resolve the case after spending $5,000 in legal fees, mm -hmm. okay, then, then, then pay the same amount of money in legal fees total on one case. Right. Okay? Yeah. Because, you know, the, the, look, these attorneys have been, practicing law for in, in excess of 20 years they need to be able to you, you can't do the too early to tell <laughs> okay you have to bring your experience to bear you know and just say well we have this type of case this is what's going to happen this is the x y and z in the case barring any smoking guns we really haven't gone through and, you know and, and a lot of attorneys are are afraid to do that okay uh, you know there was a guy named jim alardi at aig whose phrase he always was put your nickel down okay and that's what i i tell i tell attorneys to do put put your nickel down tell me where i'm going on this case because if i have your thoughts and i agree with your thoughts then we can drive the case to resolution earlier right <clears throat> you know and i think a lot of attorneys don't do that uh you know, I remember there was a point in time in the early 2000s at AIG where, you know, uh, where I was like the litigation manager, uh, you know, and I'd be looking at the, the legal spend, uh, you know, on these cases and, you know, the DNO, um, you know, securities cases, the 10B5 cases, you know, there was, they had their securities panel and these, these guys would charge like a million dollars for a motion to dismiss, you know, every time, you know, and I sort of looked at it saying, well, you have the firm filing a motion to dismiss. Okay. And they filed three motions to dismiss in the past two months for three different insureds. Like, I've looked at these, they're not that different. Why are they charging a million dollars per case? 
you know, and I, I always got resistance from the DNO side, you know, um, you know, these are all the big white shoe firms and who, who I did not use, I did not like, um, you know, and, and, you know, I, 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 uh, I did not create this phrase, but uh, one of my compatriots in the early 90s, you know, referred to particular particular law firms, not all law firms, as bandits with law books, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, I mentioned no names of any firms, you know, I would not do that. Um, but, you know, I, I just think, you know, the, the, I think the law firms that will survive, especially with guys like me, are the law firms that are going to make things easier for the claims person, because there's, there's one... If there's one thing that's been axiomatic over, you know, since the first prehistoric claims office was open, is that claims people hate surprises. Sure. Okay. And the law firms that will surprise us with something, look, they may have been surprised. And but if they let us know, look, this just happened, we didn't for you know. The insurer said there were no documents, and all of a sudden we did a deep dig and we found this smoking gun document. Okay, you know, that happens. But claims people do hate surprises. And, and the firms that either have no surprises for us or minimize the surprises are the ones that, that are going to survive. Yeah, I mean, and typically in a case, there aren't that many surprises that are really going to derail a case that much you can pretty much anticipate most that's going to come your way. Of course, there's that time. There is always something that could happen, but typically speaking, you're, you're, if you are doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're not going to be surprised with something that's that detrimental. Now that's not to say you're not going to have some witness that you've prepped for hours that suddenly, you know, they say something cockamamie or, you know, that happens, but that happens. That, that happens. That's just, you know, that's, uh, you know, that, that's, you know, you do the, the face palm and, uh, and you move on. Yeah. But we have this discussion in my office a lot about, you know, being able to like call it early rather than check the boxes. Cause you know, you know, maybe, maybe you don't need to take depositions in this case, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you don't need all those sets of interrogatories. You could probably, you know, honestly, I mean, who's the, when you get responses in interrogatories, they generally don't say much. <laughs> they don't. They don't. They really don't say much. And 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 again, to that point, the law firms I I gravitate away from. Can you gravitate away from somebody? The law firms um, I move. I think you have to gravitate toward. You but repel. The, you repel away. The, the, right. <laughs> are the are the ones that basically send out you know, say, we need to depose everybody. And they give you this whole list. And, you know, I understand that we may have a list of witnesses that may come up at trial, but, okay, take the first three depositions during the discovery period, get them done. Do they implicate anybody else in the process? If so, let's notice their deposition. Because at some point you get lower and lower down the chain, and you're you're basically interviewing like a company's like records custodian right. who was not involved with the plaintiff. So, uh, you know, and and the firms that do things 
logically are the ones that, uh, again, I think will, we'll, you know, will survive in a Darwinian world. Yeah. And in, on that point about depositions, you really need to think before you decide you want to depose them. Why do I want to depose this person? Correct. And what am I looking to get out of it? You know, am I just deposing because the other witness mentioned their name and they, you know, worked on that day? Well, maybe I don't need them. <laughs> Did I already get the information that I'm hoping to get from somebody else? Like, is it absolutely necessary? Um, do I note it as a possible trial witness? Sure. But for this, at this time, do I really need it? You have to really think about it. Like it, it, sometimes it's not every stone must be overturned. You know, <laughs> it's, you could probably get there without, you know, doing that. Now there's cases that might be like, you might have to do that, but it's not every single case. Right. I agree. Um, so, you know, having been in, well, actually, you know, you, you graduated from law school and jumped right into claims. Do you feel that, do you wish that you had, you know, that traditional law firm experience before you went into claims? Are you happy that you made just that jump immediately? No, you know what? I, I'm sort of happy I made that jump immediately because, um, I did have one small stint in a uh, in between Allstate and the home insurance company at a labor consulting firm, and you know it wasn't a law firm because one of the the partners was a uh, was not a lawyer, but it was a management labor management consulting firm, you know. And while I enjoyed it, it was it would to me it was a drag. And, and I again, I was a father really young. Okay, my 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 oldest son was born um, right before I started studying for the bar exam, oh. and um, you know, you know, so it was, uh, you know, and I I I like to consider myself, a, a, you know, a family guy. You know, and and it gave me the opportunity to uh, once I finished studying for the bar exam uh, to see my children, mm -hmm. or see my son, and then you know, then the second one rolled around. I was still in insurance, and you know, so you know, I like that. You know, and again, it was the I took the seven. Yeah, you know, again, yeah, so. I would take the, the the same train every morning, same Long Island Railroad train every morning. I take the same Long Island Railroad train every night, and I see all these other people who would, and I'm saying to myself, "Man, they're getting older, but I'm not." You know, <laughs> but I I did not I did not mind jumping. You know, in retrospect. If I had to do it all over again, I would have gone to film school. But yeah. in retrospect, having gone to law school, I don't mind. I, I I don't miss having the law firm experience, especially seeing what I've seen and speaking to some associates along the way who become good friends. You know that. You know it's not L.A. law. You know it's not. No. It's not what it's not, it's not what's on TV. No, so, not at all. Not even. Right close <laughs> right so so I, I you know i 
really have no regrets looking back of, of being, you know, in an insurance company in a claims role uh, instead of utilizing my, uh, you know, my law degree, which I stopped paying the biannual fee and declared myself, I think I, I think over 20 years ago, maybe even 25 years ago, I declared myself retired from the practice of law. Yeah. And you probably didn't even need to carry it on that long. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, I kept it for about 11 years before yeah. I declared myself retired from the practice of law and, you know, just in case. And, uh, um, you know, and they said, you know, if you ever want to come back and practice law, you just got to pay the fee. You know? Yeah. So, um, so I, absolutely no regrets. And during your your tenure at at in these insurance companies, you know, how, how did you witness the insurance industry change over time? I think it's going to boil down to to I think it, it it's going to boil down to one word. Okay, and that word is computers. Mm. Okay, when when I was at, when, when I, first of all, when I was at Allstate, okay, um, the only people who had computers were the support staff and the people who were taking the first reports, okay, and who were setting up appointments for auto inspections mm -hmm. and, you know. Those are the only people who have computers. Because as a liability adjuster, I just had a, I didn't even have a cubicle. I had a steel case desk pushed up against another steel case desk. Okay. Which sort of led to, you know, the space wars. You know, there'd be the guy, like if my files pushed over onto his desk a little bit more, every morning he would come in and push my files off of his desk onto my desk. You know, that was the biggest confrontation we'd have. Um, at the home insurance company as well, in, in the 80s, we did not have computers. We still, okay. The only computers, they had particular computer terminals where you could basically look up reserves. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to issue a check, you had it, you fill out a, you know, literal paperwork and the support staff would do it. That led to a very funny story. There's about six or seven of us who would often work late. Um, and I had the bright idea to get everybody like on a conference call at each of the computer terminals. And we put in the same. Um, reserve request on like about eight different terminals around the floor and I counted down and when I, I when I said zero we all hit the enter button <laughs> you know and it you know it's this mainframe computer you know with the green you know we all see it with the yeah. green type like, like war games you know yeah, and it has a little blinking dot on it <laughs> has a little blinking cursor on it and and it froze the computers for like three days 
that's my but but I digress. But for a purpose, in those days when there were not, when we did not have email, when we did not have um, email, um, there wasn't that there was a lack. Well, there was always an immediacy to claims. If you got a letter in, you had to respond to it and we would respond to it. And, you know, in terms of you, you would dictate a response to the letter, especially like, you know, I, Anderson Kill would always send me bad faith letters and, uh, you know, those had to be responded to as, you know, as soon as you got them. Mm -hmm. And of course, back in the day, those letters, you'd always start your response letter with, thank you for your letter of uh, June 1st, which was received in our office on right. July 12th. Okay, so, and, you know, so you would immediately respond and then you would, you would, you would mail it off and you were able to move on to the next yeah. file on your desk or the next piece of mail on your desk and you were able to move the process along nowadays i mean i would send i would get i handled a lot of big dollar claims when i was at uh the home insurance company i would send i would always get requests from like the guy who was in charge of worldwide claims at the home insurance company a gentleman by the name of john hilton great guy you know, and I would get this, you know, long email asking lots of questions to which I would respond. And, and again, they're in the, he's in the same building. So we have somebody hand deliver the memo and it could be a week, it could be two weeks, it could be three weeks before I, if I ever even got a response. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you send your letter out, you're able to move on. Nowadays with email, you can send a something out and you're now you're working on something else. And then you get from any number from either the broker or the insured, you know, or, uh, policyholder counsel, you know, you're a stupid idiot, you know, <laughs> you've done this wrong, and blah, 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 blah. you know, all of a sudden everything becomes like, you know, this horribly urgent action. And I'm not looking to, to you know, minim I'm not looking to minimize insurance concerns, okay, because First and foremost, claims is a customer service oriented business. But I think that the advent of email, while making communication easier, I think has made communication more onerous as well. Okay, because you you wind up you wind up having the situations where where you get you get an email at 9 a.m. in the morning expecting a detailed response. Right. 
by 4 p.m. I mean, you know, and, and you know, sometimes that's just, and it's it's a drop everything approach, which is, you know, and it it prevents one from from providing this the, the what I was brought up with the studious approach. Mm-hmm. approach the analytical studious approach then you know so uh, that's and i'm not saying we didn't have that before because sometimes you know in the olden days before computers you would get blindsided by telephone calls yeah but now people don't even want to talk on the phone it's it's People just want to bomb you with emails because it creates this paper record. Yes. And, and, you know, and I've found, I found at least in my practice, sometimes you have counsel who they act like tough guys on, on email. They have to write this like long scathing email and then you get them on the phone and they're perfectly fine. Yes. But the email's there to protect them, you know, to show their client, well, look, I'm, 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 you're, this is why you're paying me. I'm being a real tough guy. And, and that stuff gets under my skin. Cause also I'm like, we can, we could probably work anything out on the phone and there's right. no need to fight about any of this, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I've been, I've been deposed over a hundred times uh, because at AIG, I was the, when I was ran the handled the bad faith cases. I was also the 30B6 witness. Uh, but I remember a case I had for Ace where we were, you know, it seemed that our constant adversary was Reed Smith. And, you know, I had some guy, well, actually I know who it was, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mention his name because actually we've become actually a little friendly now that the Peloponnesian Wars have ended. Um, he said to me, he showed me an email and it had the subject line of the name of the case. It was to my boss, Rich. And it said, uh, you want to go to lunch today? And I said, sure, let's go to X, Y, and to, you know. And he goes, why was this included with the, why was this produced? And I said, because if it wasn't produced, you'd be running to the judge for sanctions. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you're absolutely right. <laughs> and he, you know, he, I mean, he understood the, frivol- you know, the, the, you know, the stupidity of the, um, you know, of, of the adversarial proceeding. Right. But now, like, again, with email, you just, you you first of all you have you have people who who ask they don't they don't know what they want so they ask one question to which you respond then they follow up with another question to which you respond and then they follow up with another like can we just like if we did a 10 minute phone call this would be like so much so much better but people like don't you know it's it's like it's like kids who who just text with each other they don't even you know 
They have iPhones that don't even need phone capability because they're texting with each other. You know, I mean, yeah. look, pick up the phone, talk, and everything is is a lot better. And I think that the technology, while I think in some respects, technology has transformed the industry for the better. I think has been, I think has made. I don't want to just say the industry. I, I want to say, I, I want to include everything. Sure. You know, you know, including insureds who are not in, technically in the industry. Um, you know, I, I just think it's 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 made things a little bit uh, less interpersonal. Yeah, I, and if you think about it too, if. Take, you know, even outside like losing the phone calls and having developing those relationships and talking to people like you you were saying when you're you started out and your kids were young and you would take the train home take the train in at x time take the train home at y time and then you'd have time to be with your kids now that everything is so easily and readily available i think it it makes it that that much more difficult to create a, a dividing line be like okay now i'm home i'm putting the phone away this can wait but then okay a lot of people you put it away for like you know say like six to nine and then you check emails before bed and be probably you probably didn't do that then you know you came home from work and you were home and that was your well, time to be home well also back when we didn't have remote access right no we didn't have blackberries we didn't have these i mean i remember once i was given a a palm pilot to test out you know <laughs> And I'm going like, hey, this is a piece of garbage. I mean, it doesn't work unless you like plug it into your computer at work. So it really doesn't help. You know, it's not it's not getting emails over the airwaves. Um, and the only benefit was they said they could. Um, oh, you could keep it though. So, um, <laughs> but I. I I would say where technology is has been a boom okay is look if there was a pandemic back in 1986 uh, yeah well, what would have happened yeah i i first <laughs> of all I, I think the insurance industry would have crumbled mm -hmm. okay uh because you would either force people to come into work with you know whatever hazmat suits hazmat suits you know i mean people would have that's what they would have had to come in with they would have had to come in with like hazmat suits and you know and yeah, because you need it there was no way for, we had paper files there was there was no way to to handle the work you know away from um the office and you know i remember going to mediations you know you had to make a copy of the pertinent documents and you put it in a, you didn't take the file with you because you didn't want to lose that so you mm -hmm. made copies of the the pertinent documents and um and and, and that's it but Again, so technology has really helped us. Yes. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this straight into the camera to any senior executive 
at any insurance company, and I'm happy to discuss with anybody offline, is that anybody who says that claims people need to be in the office more than one day a week, if that much, are sadly mistaken. Yeah. Because I honestly believe that claims people have been able to show their flexibility during the pandemic by responding to, be, because they're at home, they're, they're, they're more likely to respond to, you know, on the people on the East Coast are more likely to respond to brokers calling at like 4.30 California time when it's into the quote unquote personal Mm -hmm. after hours time to be more customer service related. So they, I don't think, you know, so technology from that perspective has been good, but it's been used for evil purposes as well. I mean, there's a company out there that, and I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but just based on anecdotal evidence, you know, they're more concerned about making sure that there's a substantial diary note every 90 days yeah. in the file rather than the file being handled properly because now you can run all these reports okay and and you know and i'm not just you know talking like younger managers who are checking off the box and listening to the you know the corporate overlords telling them what to do i'm, I'm talking about their their veterans as well who who fall into that same mold okay and you know i was always a guy that well look i've been in this particular billet for two years now and nothing's ever exploded my people are handling their cases or when i talk to them and again I, i'm when i was a claims handler as opposed to a manager if instead of going into our you know electronic diary system and and typing a, a, you know a long-winded note out i would often send an email to counsel saying dave let the, this will confirm the conversation that we had and I'd lay out the, the various points, okay? But I would get dinged because I, oh, I did put that in the, in the com computer notes. And my, it's in the file. Right. It, it's things there. Should, things need to be in the file, but to me, it doesn't matter where. But I think because of technology and this, this, this you know, uh, this overweening sense of necessity for reports, I, I it, you know, it, it, and the, the fastidious need to make sure, you know, nothing shows up on a report. Um, you know, I think we overlook what is really important in the claims business, which is the actual handling of claims. Well, and it's kind of similar to, to the attorney just doing 
doing the checking the boxes and doing the, the tests because that's what, you know, there's just kicking the can down the road versus st sitting back and evaluating and saying, what really needs to happen in this case, this is how, this is where I, our goal, this is our exit strategy. What steps do I need to take to get us to this exit strategy? You know, and it's not just taking the steps because they're there to, they, they're available. You take the ones that really matter or they're right. gonna really get you to the, your your result. It's, you know, and, and in that situation too, with when you have counsel and the claim the claims together, you know, a lot of times it's the attorney's job to make sure they're emailing the, their, their claims adjuster saying, this is where they are. So then that claims adjuster can take that update and put, have it be in their file. So the, the job, the onus is not on the claims adjuster to create the diary entry. It's already created for them by their counsel saying, this is where we are. So their file is updated. At least that's how I look at it. I was like, <laughs> I should be, my communications to you are your updates to your file. You shouldn't have to ask right. me for that's them. That's exactly how it should be. Um, so we're, we're getting close to the end of our time. And I, I, there was a few things I definitely wanted to make sure I, I touched on with sure. you and you, you already brought it up, but I was going to ask you, you know, what else would you do if you didn't do this? And you'd mentioned you'd go in into film, but I want to touch on that because I, from talking to you, I know you're a big movie guy. Um, so, you know, what is it about the, you know, the film industry that, you know, interests you so much? Is it the, just the storylines or creating the storylines or, you know, what is it? I just enjoy movies. I think they're a nice escape from reality. I've always wanted to be able to make one. Uh, I've written uh, two novels, uh, none of, neither of which I have been published. Oh, it's like, I, you I, plug your novels, please. <laughs> and, uh, well, no, I, 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 they haven't even been self-published. Again, because technology, I'm sort of scared how to go in there. I had a friend of mine talk me through the process yeah uh you know i have some formatting i need to do with the with the first novel but i'm hopefully by the end of the year i will i will self-publish self-publish the first novel i've written i sort of find myself a creative yeah type i've always wanted to be creative in my you know disclaimer letters you know <laughs> i mean I, you know the the one joke i keep to myself but you know is is just you know Oftentimes there are multiple bases for disclaimer on a case. So you do the first one, you do the most solid one first. And I've always had the desire to write, but wait, there's more <laughs> like in a game show, you know, like, you know, Don Pardo, you know, whatever. And um, I, so again, I've always found myself to be create, you know, have sort of a creative uh, uh, streak to myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, and again, I, I always wanted to explore that. But, you know, again, back in the late 70s or the early 80s, it was, you know, and people may say, okay, boomer to this, but I don't really care. It was like, you settle down, you have a family, you get a good steady job to, to and that's, you know, the film industry was not what you consider to be a real steady employment. So I went with the desk job. Well, yeah, there's certainly some, a great amount of risk in going into the film industry, obviously, like it's obviously, <laughs> but now that you are in your retirement, why not? I mean, now is the time to, you know, explore that creative outlook. What do you have to lose? Yeah. 
<laughs> You're probably right. It's just a matter of writing and getting an agent and all of that. Yeah. So. so, you know, we've talked, you've mentioned movies a bit. Like, is there any movie that, and I, I ask this to a lot of guests as well, that no matter, you know, what you're doing, if it's on, you'll sit down and watch it? Yeah. Um, there are actually three movies that if they're on, I will, I will watch them. Um, uh, the first one is Lawrence of Arabia, which to me is, despite the fact that it's nearly four hours long, is, yeah. I think it's the greatest movie ever made. Okay, I just, I can watch it. I can, I've seen it so many times, like I can come into the middle. I know what's happened. The other movie uh, that I will watch anytime it's on is um, actually two of them are Blazing Saddles and Caddyshack. <laughs> okay, which to me are two classic comedies. And what was going to be the third, but it is now the fourth movie if, that if it's on, and I don't know why I, I have this, maybe is is legally blonde <laughs> you aren't the first person to say that one with you. I'll, I'll tell because you that <laughs> i just you know i i it's a cute movie but the cross-examination of the of the pool boy yes um is to me just one of the greatest is, is to me one of the greatest legal comedy things that, that I've seen on, on screen. <laughs> so, um, you know, so those are, yeah, those are the ones that if they're on, I'll watch them. Well, I, I would, I, I would agree with Lily Bond. I can't say I, I have seen Lawrence of Arabia, but not in quite some time. I think I had to watch it in college as part of a, a film, a music and film class, I believe. Um, but I, anybody who hasn't seen it, see it. And if you can see it on the big screen, see it on the big screen. <laughs> um, so before, before we, we end, you know, having you gone through, you know, this, you know, a long career in, in, in claims and coming out on the other side, like what advice would you give uh, to someone just graduating college? Is this a career path you would recommend to someone or say, nope, nope go do something else, including, including law school. I mean, a lot of people have very divergent views on whether or not you should go to law school. You know, well, I think one of the sad things is I think most insurance companies nowadays that do professional management liability, okay? I don't think they'll hire a non-lawyer. I think they look for people who went through law school at a minimum, okay? And I think that's really sad when one looks back when I started, okay, that very few people went to law school and became claims people, okay? Barton Keys in 
double indemnity. I'm sure he didn't go to law school, Edward G. Robinson. I mean, you know, for years and years and years, claims were handled by non-lawyers. There's no reason that you have to be a lawyer to, to go to law school. So that's the first uh, thing I would say. The advice I would give is that um, if you're looking for a steady job, if you are looking for a job that can be fun and you can make claims fun, one of the guys who worked for me was just, he, this is years ago. I mean, he was like right out of college. He couldn't stand claims. And I, and I just said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I have this claim in here. Okay. Um, you, this claim is going to, this claim is worth, you can't screw this claim up. This claim is worth no more than $5,000. You have $5,000 authority. Go ahead, negotiate with the claimant's attorney. Get on the phone. Don't use counsel. Get on, talk to counsel, get your, but then get on the phone with the claimant's attorney. And he said, that was like the best argument. Okay. Because a lot of times you get into what makes claims boring is that claims people don't negotiate the claims. They, yeah. give the, they give the authority to the defense attorney. And then the defense attorney reports back and then they say, now, if you're giving authority to the defense attorney, you're not negotiating. If you enjoy going back and forth with people and are committed to doing that, then I think you can have a fun career in claims. Yeah. I mean, there are things that, like with any fun, any career, there are things that are going to be a dread. They do call it work and not play for a reason. Right. Okay. There are things that, that we don't like doing in any job, but there are ways that you can make the job much more palatable. Yeah. It's like, find, find what, what drives you in that. And, you know, that can be the fun about your job like this for me is one of the most fun things about my job outside of handling you know cases which you know can be fun but does have its drags I mean doing these podcasts is it's a creative outlet it's fun right and it's worthwhile it gets a lot of messages across yeah especially yours <laughs> from the from the cantankerous old man point of view because <laughs> we are a segment of community <laughs> Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. I, I truly enjoyed our, our conversation. And I mean, I probably could have asked you a million more questions and kept going for another, another hour, but I try to limit this to one hour. We can always, we can always have a part two. <laughs> we can. I love having the part two. There you go. Um, My pleasure. Well, thank you so much. And for all our listeners and viewers, if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the, uh, the Defense Never Rests on Apple Podcasts as well. You can find us on Legal Navigator on YouTube.